Are you ready for this? Relationships. Are you ready? Oh, and a month. This isn't just a, this isn't just one sermon. Oh, no, no. We are committing to talk about relationships for four weeks. It's going to be awesome. We're going to talk about dating and marriage and sex and, whoa, who said that? Uh, friendship, single and loving it, single and it's complicated. Uh, we're going to talk about the relationship that we have with ourselves. We're going to talk about all of it. We're going to get real. Now, we might think that if we're about to jump in and talk about the real deal of relationships, that we would maybe do, you know, like the guys meet somewhere and the girls meet somewhere, and then let's talk real about relationships, right? We might think that we could do that, and we've done that before, right? We've done that before. This time, we're not doing that, okay? We're doing that for very specific reasons, okay? And so I just want to, we're like, what I'm wanting to do right now is just give you like a full, what's that word? Full disclosure as to where we're going, what our intentions are, and uh, like a good relationship should. That was a, get it? Okay. Okay, okay. All right, thanks. All right, so we're not meeting separately. We are meeting together because what can happen when we meet just guys or just girls, we relegate certain topics to certain genders. We relegate um, like certain hot topics for guys and certain hot topics for girls. And so I actually think that um, number one, you're old enough and mature enough to be able to talk about sex in the same room with the opposite gender, all right? So if you're not, now you are, because I've just called you out, and you, you need to be, all right? You need to be. Okay, so if we, if we separate, I think that we do three different injustices, and we're not going to do that. So this is what I think that we can do, is we can gloss over topics and, uh, and we think that just because, like, if we were to have just the guys, we would gloss over topics, maybe like um, body image. We might gloss over that if, in a room full of guys, but that's not a girl issue. That's a people issue. And if it was just a girl's, then we might gloss over things like porn, which is not a guy issue. That's a people issue. Okay. So we're not going to gloss over those things it, because we think that it's more of a guy issue or more of a girl issue. So we're in the same room, and we're going to talk about some of these things. All right? Um, secondly, when we, when we separate into just guys and just girls, which isn't bad. I'm not saying that it's always bad, but this is just our intention and why we're not doing it this time. Okay? What happens is, is it becomes a closed door issue. And we think that those topics only get discussed behind closed doors. But quite frankly, we need to talk about how to have healthy relationships in the open. We need to talk about temptation in the open with people who are trusted. Okay? We can't keep that behind closed doors. So 
We're not. The doors are open. We're all together. Um, thirdly, we do an injustice to ourselves because if we are just guys and if we are just girls, then we don't have opportunity to learn. Okay. So guys, you need to learn some things about what girls go through and girls, you need to go learn about things that guys go through because if we are to be in relationship with each other, we have to understand the other. Okay. So this is where we're coming from. We are being open. We are being real. And and it could potentially get awkward. But I want you to turn to your neighbor, look at them dead in the eyes, and say, because that's awkward, look them dead in the eyes, and say, it's only awkward if you make it awkward. It's only awkward if you make it awkward. Okay. Great. Great. Okay. So our awkward level should be at like a one or a zero. Yeah. All right. Good. You're chatty. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. So, um, I will say this. We are, we are willing to go real. We are willing to go there, but, um, but we need your help with that because this is, there's a, there's a, yeah. Okay. So this is our, this is our four weeks of fun. Okay, four weeks of fun. So first, we're starting at a starting place. That will be tonight. Week two, I'm going to be interviewing Gavin. Whoa! And week three, Gavin is interviewing me. What? I know! Okay, okay. So we're kind of... we. Gavin and I are making ourselves quite available, quite vulnerable, in fact. I'm a little bit not nervous. I'm not nervous, but I'm just, you know, you know that uncomfortable feeling that you feel when you know that you want to be vulnerable, but you know that it's being vulnerable, and so you feel sort of like inside, you're like, ah, oh, feel not quite right. Okay, so, so this is what's going on. So currently... Oh, someone's phoning you right now. Okay, so this is this is what's going to happen is we're going to interview each other, but we need your help and we need your questions. So we're going to come up with some questions on our own of things that we think that it would be important to talk about. But what we want to do is we want to hear from you. We want to hear what are the things that we want to talk about with if we're going to be real with relationships. Well, let's get real. All right. So what we want you to do is that number right there, text your questions. If you want to talk about body image, then let's talk about it. If we want to talk about masturbation, well, then let's talk about it. If we're going to talk about how to move from dating to engaged in that decision and how to go from engaged to married in that decision, if we're going to talk about those things, then let's talk about those things. But we need your help to know what you want to talk about. Does that make sense? Okay, so also what we're going to do is 
Sometimes we might, like, we might keep a, a question, uh, or we might use a question twice. Once on the week with Gavin, and once on the week with me. Because we offer two very different perspectives. So, here's the obvious one. I'm a girl, and he's a boy. I, what? So, the way that we think is different. So we're going to have different perspectives on different things. Also, shocker, Gavin's married. I'm not. What? So there we offer different perspectives yet again from, from in which the situation that we find ourselves and our, our life situation. So we're going to bring that to the table. We will also be bringing the word, but we're going to be bringing in what it is from a perspective of a single woman, what it would be from a perspective of a married man and what dating might have looked like or whatever, right? Like we'll offer our perspectives. And so we're going to use some of your questions on both nights, the exact same one so that we can both, we can hear how it shapes for like a guy and for a girl. Okay. Um, yeah. Do we have any questions about, about this so that we're just straight up real and upfront with where we're going? Is that good? Does this make sense? Feeling good? Okay. So then, um, so then what we're going to do is then there's going to, we're going to end something crazy with a conclusion. Like every good paper should, like every good paper should, not everyone does. I know, I know, not everyone does, but every good paper should. And that's how we're going to end our four weeks. Okay, let me just make sure that I've got everything that I need to talk about about that. I think that's good. Okay, so how's that feel? Feel good? Yeah? Kind of fun, right? Trying something different? Trying something different? Yeah. Okay, so... Um, turning the page now, uh, now we're going to start with a start. Okay. So, uh, with where things have been going this, with this semester and with what Jess was speaking about on Wednesday morning, it's quite fitting actually. Um, so as we have been working through, as Gavin and I were working through what we should do in this time frame and how we should approach things with relationships, um, I kept like this first week I kept sitting with, but we have to, but we have to start with, with who we are as people. We have to start with humanity. If we're going to figure out relationships, then we need to figure out humanity and how we understand them. And it was so cool to me that just on the second, on Wednesday morning, that she started to talk about loneliness and personhood and the Holy Spirit. And I was like, this is so great. Oh my goodness. This is so great. This is what I've been like reading and working and thinking and praying about. It's so awesome. And so just for those who may not have been there, or if you forget, just to get a bit of a context of where she was coming from, and then I'm going to hop onto where we're going for this evening. She talked about how um, over the past 100 years, uh, there was a whole bunch of different revolutions that took place in society that moved power more from like person moved moved society more from personhood to power. 
All right. And so because of that move, that's where loneliness increased. Uh, but then she, she also then moved back from that and said that it really wasn't the beginning in this 100 years. It actually was in, in the first century, Christ, like first Christians in Roman Empire, there was this sense of power is personhood and, and how, whether you are, what your, your rank in society established your power and established whether you were considered a person or not. And so it was by the power of the Holy Spirit um, in Acts, in Acts 2, the reason why the first Christians were able to be so um, effective in the community is because they had the power of the Holy Spirit who allowed them to see other people. And because they could see personhood, then they were able to see people who were never, ever seen and therefore offer the gospel to people who the gospel would have never been known. And so that's why the gospel was, was spread so rapidly and why it was received so well was because the Holy Spirit was enabling those first believers to see others. So that's where we, that's what we were talking about uh, with Jess. Did I sum that up okay? Yeah. Okay, cool. You're, you were tracking with me. So awesome. Okay. So, <clears throat> so that's, that's where she landed. Where I've been landing and where we're going to go tonight is, yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely get what she was talking about, how the Holy Spirit empowers us to see people. I absolutely get. Um, sometimes I wonder if we see that as something immediate that like, Oh, the Holy Spirit makes me, I can see that person now, and now I'm going to address that person or or see that person or meet their need. I, while I believe that that's true, I also believe that the Holy Spirit, I have a hair, sorry. Uh, I also believe that the Holy Spirit allows us to, and, and desires for us to take the time to learn by him through the works of, the, of the, through what's in scripture and through the works of other people to learn a theology of humanity. I think we, I think we really, really, really need to have a good theology of humanity because if we have a good theology of humanity, then we know how to see people and then we know how to treat people, Right? And so that's not any less spirit-empowered. That takes more time and more effort on your part. And now the Holy Spirit works in us, but we need to have a good theology of humanity if we're going to do relationships. We have to. A A theology of humanity is going to completely affect every kind of relationship that we have. It's going to affect our friendship. It's going to affect our dating relationships. It's going to affect how we are if we're when we're married. It's going to affect who we are and how we treat and see strangers. It's going to affect how we see and how we treat our roommates, how we see and treat our bosses, how we see and treat people who are working under us. It will affect every single relationship as well as the relationship that we have with ourselves. If we have a good theology of relationships, of, sorry, of humanity, we can do relationships really well. So we need a proper one. We need a proper relationship so that we can see people well and treat them as God had ordained people to be seen and how God ordained people to be treated. So 
We're going to, that's like, that's massive. A concept of like a theology of humanity. We're not going to cover all of that tonight because that's pretty big. And like, like I've been best, like this has been on my mind for, for weeks, maybe even a month. Like it's been on my mind for, for quite a significant amount of time, but we're going to break down a teeny tiny little chunk a teeny tiny little chunk of a theology of humanity. And I believe that everything goes back to the garden. I think it has to go back to the garden. We have to go back to where relationship started with, and where people began and where, G, where God says that was very good. We have to go back to the spot where he said that was very good. So, We're going to go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It's Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and it's uh, to verse 31. Bless you. So it says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. In our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit uh, with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath in its life or in it, I give every green plant for food. Bless you. And it, and it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So verse 26, let us make man in our image and let them rule. There is an authority that was given to Adam and Eve straight away. When they were made perfectly as God had had originally designed, they they were given authority. They were made in God's likeness and they had authority over everything that God had created. Now, we've talked about authority here at Summit. We've talked about how we have been given a spirit of sonship. We've talked about anointing. We talked about how we have everything that we need. Um, Yeah, we've talked about how we are sons and daughters of God. We are sons and daughters, and we are heirs of God, and that we are co-heirs with Christ. We've talked about that, and we understand that there is an identity, that through the identity that we have in God, there is authority. Right? We understand that. We've, we've, I feel like we've kicked a dead horse a little bit. But this, door, this, this particular thing is so massive that it's not a dead horse. We need to keep chipping away at this concept. 
So God gave them permission to rule over all of the earth, all the creatures that moved on the ground, the fish, the birds, God gave them every seed plant, every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth. In his perfect creation, in his perfect order of humanity, he gave them dominion over everything except for two things. Two. One was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They did not have authority for that tree. The other thing is less explicit. It's much more implicit. But the thing that they did not have authority over was each other. They did not have authority over each other. The only, the only one who had authority over humanity was God. That's it. That's it. So God never established, he never established that there would be a power differential among humanity ever. He meant for humanity to be equal. He equally gave them authority to rule. He equally gave them authority to rule the birds, the fish, the, the, um, all the seed-bearing plants. He gave them equal authority. They together were supposed to multiply and, and add, right? They were supposed to populate the earth together. And so there was a, an equality that was given um, in, in the garden, It wasn't until the fall that there was power differential throughout humanity. Not until the fall. Before we get to the fall, I think it's really important that we see that in in Genesis 2, chapter chapter 2, verse 25, it says that the man and his wife, this might make us feel awkward and we maybe read over this sometimes, but it's not. They were naked and they felt no shame. They were naked felt no shame. Their nakedness addresses God's true pattern of ease that was supposed to be in their relationship. It was supposed to be easy, their relationship. It was supposed to be so that they could stand naked in front of each other and not be like, have any sense of shame. And they didn't. They didn't. There was nothing that was divisive between them. There was nothing that got in the way. There was no greed. There was no distrust. There was no dishonor. There was no shame because the way that they behaved together was equal. The way that they behaved was innocent and equal and honoring of each other. There was no differential. No one had been commodified yet. And by commodified, I mean no one was used yet for anything. And so because no one was used yet, there was no shame. It was that shame. Shame was the result of sin. And and commodification of human beings was the result of sin. So after they chose, as, as after that whole tree incident where they chose to eat the fruit... Of, the one, of one of the things that they were never supposed to have authority over or dominion over, when they chose to eat the fruit, what they did was they postured themselves towards power instead of actually living out their life of authority. 
by dominating something that wasn't theirs to have power over, their relationship with God completely changed and their relationship with each other completely changed. They felt shame immediately. Immediately they felt shame. And they began to use each other for their benefit. They began to jockey for power. Adam blamed Eve and he made a power play. He made a power play right away. He said that it was this woman, right? It's this woman, power play. It wasn't me, it was this woman. And then what did Eve do? She pulled the same thing. She pulled the same stunt. It wasn't me, it was the snake, power play. It's establishing my role of power again. Because now authority, the authority that was given to them by God that was perfect, that was equal, was now like, um, what's the word? Shoot, that's okay, we're gonna get there. So they were using these power plays to reestablish, to actually build like a counterfeit power. So they had taken this beautiful, perfect sense of authority that God had given them. And they had turned that into a counterfeit power. And they had postured themselves to power. Differential is the word. So then there's this, this picture of a differential relationship. It's no longer equal anymore. And that's where the struggle, that's the struggle of all humanity right there. There it is, power. Because what we did have was authority. And what we're struggling for is power. So the struggle of humanity and the struggle in all relationships has everything to do with authority and power. And when we attempt to posture or jockey for power or consider ourselves more important than others, what we are doing is we are just perpetuating the ripple of a counterfeit power that was established back in the garden. But we would never say that, right? We'd never, ever say that. I would never say, I'm jockeying for power right now. Excuse me, I'm jockeying, right? Like we would never, we would never do that. And we would never, ever say to someone, I think I'm more important than you. We would never say that. We'll think it. Nope, no problem, we'll think it. We will. Let's be real. Let's be real. We think it. Now, we might not think it and articulate it that way, but we think it. We behave that way. We behave that way in all, in all kinds of relationships, in friendships. When we say things like, um, you know, when we bounce on a friend because my needs aren't being met anymore. Well, that says that I'm more important than you. So I've just postured for power. When we say things like, it has to be my way, or we insist that it has to be my way, we would never say it. No, never. But we'd infer, right? We'd infer. Maybe it's just me. I know you guys are so much better than I am. Um, (laughs) Right? And when we say that things have to be done my way, and we become insistent, well, that's jockeying for power. That's pulling a power play. When, you know... When we, start, <laughs> when we start using our, 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 um, our, the things that have been have made available for us, you know, like our opportunities, when we start to use those opportunities to like, you know, you know, once I got invited to go and preach at, uh, at the Yukon snow camp once, 
you know, right? So then, then Gavin could say, yeah, I've preached there like seven times, right? Like if we had that, he would never do that. He doesn't do that. But that kind of conversation, that's jockeying for power. It's posturing power. And we do that all the time. Even like it's even, it's in little, it's in little things, right? The other day on Monday morning, so some of you know this about me. I have a persnickety, I have a persnickety character sometimes. Some things just drive me nuts that should, not really shouldn't. It's just persnickety. And, um, and so I walked in and the drapes were like open just a little. And you could see the window behind and that drives me bonkers. Drives me bonkers. And so we had just prayed and... Uh, Caleb Owens was drumming, and like, so we had just prayed. We were right here. We just prayed. We said, amen, and I went, hey, Caleb, can you do me a favor? Can you fix the, and then I realized what I'd done. I hadn't even said hello. I hadn't acknowledged really his presence yet. Can you do me a favor? Like, that was a posturing of power. I didn't even acknowledge him as a person. Hey, Caleb, how are you? Like, I stopped myself, and I was like, Caleb, I'm so sorry. That was really jerky of me to do. Um, How are you? Hello, it's really nice to see you. When you do drum, that's still bugging me. So when you do drum, do you mind? But, like, I, I, I caught myself because it happens in little ways. In little things in our relationships, we posture ourselves for power so that we're the most important person in the room. That is not the authority that God gives us. That's the power that we try to use to counterfeit what he gave us. Now, before we move on, um, like, I don't know, sometimes I do this, maybe you do this too, and so we're just going to, like, squash it. So perhaps that you're thinking, you know, this would be a really great sermon for so-and-so. That's posturing for power, okay? So um, from, <laughs> from this point on, we're going to own our own stuff, okay? We're going to own our own stuff so that we can, we can be maybe challenged on how we treat people and how we see people, okay? Um, okay, so this posturing for power issue isn't just in relationships. It's not just in relationships with people. It's something that we struggle with, our, with relationship with ourselves and with God, right? We have this understanding that, um, so, sorry, so, Adam and Eve, what they did was they were given this beautiful authority and they uh, chose to go a different way. And they decided that they wanted the control, right? So God gave them everything and just said, you can't have this. Well, they decided that they wanted control and they took this. And this happens in our lives all the time too, doesn't it? We constantly like, are grappling for power from God constantly, right? Like, we come up with our own plans all the time and tell God what they're going to be, right? 
And, and this is just this, con- this concept, again, of posturing for power. And we figure out our methods. We figure out what we're going to do. And we, in- we include God at some point along the way. But we're not called. <laughs> the, the, the authority that we're given is an authority of obedience, and when we posture for power and when we convince God and we try, try to convince God of what our plans are and that they're better for us than his, um, we're not being obedient anymore. And so to have the authority of God is to, to be obedient to him and what he has, to have open hands. Um, and that's, that's our struggle, right? And we often, what we do is we try to take measures into our own hands to fix our own needs and to meet our own needs. Now, this often happens when, um, when we're in a place like this. I see this happening a lot when, um, like, yes, the plans mentally, like the planning happens, but it happens when we, when we're left to our, when we leave ourselves to our own devices, when we retreat from community and when we retreat from relationship, this is what happens. We do this. We try to like make, um, we try to make plans and we try to create our own, we try to recreate authority. Now, so this sin problem, it exhibits through uh, humanity's attempt at grappling or like grappling for authority and grappling for power so that we would elevate ourselves over people. And we see this, it's like, well, just talked about how it was in the Roman culture, but we see this everywhere. This is the entire story of the Old Testament, right? Cain and Abel, the Tower of Babel, Sarah using Hagar because to fix her power issue of barrenness. We see David using his power to get what he wants from Bathsheba. The book of Amos and pretty much every single book of the prophets talks about how Israel and other people are using power to disenfranchise other people. And this makes God very angry, right? Like, so this power differential is really not God's original plan and it it grieves his heart. And this is where injustice is. It's an imbalance of power. Now, so there's this one power differential where we are are trying to like jockey up, right? Get more power. There's There's a second power differential that's happening here that's really, that I think is, it is like the exact opposite, which is really interesting. So not only do we see Adam and Eve's problem with power in that they're trying to use it for their own benefit, But then we see their problem with power is that they abdicate their authority and they give it away. They give away their authority. They give it away. So this doesn't make sense, I realize, because the one they're trying to grab onto power and the one they're trying to give away power. But let's just break this down. And by abdicate a power, like when I think about abdicating, I think about like Mia Kermopolis, who is like from Princess Diaries, right? All the ladies know what I'm talking about, right? Where she's going to like abdicate being the princess of, Gen- of Genovia. But <laughs> this is a little bit bigger than that. Um, <laughs> okay. 
So this is what we see, and this is what I mean by giving power away or abdicating authority. So in Genesis chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Adam, in his response to God, pointed his pointed question about eating the fruit, he says, the woman you put with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. So what Adam did is he gave Eve more power than she actually had because they're equals they were equals no she was so her convincing skills was incredible god i couldn't say no she could be a used car salesman like she was good i like got insurance too right like He's, he's abdicating. He's abdicating the responsibility that he has for the authority that was given to him. He's abdicating it. No, she. It was her fault. She did it. So then pushing any kind of responsibility of authority. Eve did the same thing, didn't she? She did the same thing. She says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Okay, what kicks me about this one is... In the previous chapter, God just says to Adam and Eve, he just says to them, you have authority over every creature on the ground. Every creature. The only one, the only one who had authority over Adam and Eve, the only one who could tell them to do something was God and God alone. They had a responsibility that was attached to their authority to be obedient. And they abdicated their authority so that they could posture for their own counterfeit power. They put somebody else in authority in their life that God did not design to be there. That's, and we do this too. We do this too. We give the enemy way more power in our lives than he deserves. We believe a whole lot of his lies and, of, and his schemes, and we go along with what he says, and he has no authority in our life. He has no authority. First John 4, 4 says, you, dear children, are from God. Identifying, like, the authority and power, the proper authority. And then it says, have overcome evil spirits, because the one who is greater, the one who is greater than Sorry, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Scripture tells us that we have authority and that the, that the enemy does not. He does not have authority in our lives. He doesn't. But when we listen to what he says and when we believe the schemes that he's trying to say, what we do is we abdicate. I'm abdicating authority. I'm giving, we are literally giving away the authority that God has given to us. We're giving it away. I don't like that. Sorry, that just like, huh. We have an incredible authority that has been given to us. Because he loves us, and he has created us, and he has plans for us, purposes for us. And all that it requires of us 
is to listen and obey. That's, what, that's all it requires. And we have incredible authority. Incredible authority. You have incredible authority because you are a child of God. Don't give it away. Don't give it away. Not only do we do this with the enemy, but we do it in relationship with people. We abdicate authority. And we give, we give power, and we give, we give power to, to people that it, it shouldn't be placed there. It shouldn't be placed there. Um, there's the author Edward Welch in his book, When People Are Big and God is Small. He says, he likens all of this to idolatry. And he says, we give people authority in our lives that is not God-ordained. And when this happens, people become idols in our lives. We worship them, hoping that they will take care of us, hoping that they will give us what we feel we need. See, God is the ultimate authority, correct? And so he is our, meet, our, our need meter. He is our provider. He is our sustainer. But when we get into relationships, when we get into friendships, dating relationships, marriages, and we start giving that person power to fix our problems... What we're doing is we're abdicating our authority. We're giving power away and we're putting that power into a person that it, and, and the type of power that was never supposed to land on them ever. And what we do is we say, you know, we say things like, or we think things like, once I get married, once I marry so-and-so, this problem is going to get fixed. Or once I start dating somebody, then this problem is going to fix itself. No siree, Bob. No siree. Because that, that person, we've now just turned that person into an idol. We've now just abdicated the authority that has been given to us. And we've said, I don't want the responsibility of my authority. So I'm going to push it on to somebody else. What a, I do not want to be in a relationship like that. No. My hope is that you don't want to be relationship like that and that you would never enter into relationship, friendship, dating, whatever. Nope. No siree, Bob. No siree. So he's created, he has created equality for us to work together, to tend creation. And he has established authority, yet through sin that got broken right? It was supposed to be God is the authority. We have equal authority and authority is for God's purposes. But instead it becomes power becomes personhood. Power is hustled for. Power is used for one's own benefit and power is given away because we don't want the responsibility. So if that's the problem, essentially, how do we reestablish our authority? How do we do that? We don't. It's a trick question. It's a trick question. We don't reestablish our authority. That was done by Jesus. That was done by Jesus. All of the authority issues that happened in, in human relationship was completely fixed on the cross. Through Jesus' salvific work, the authority issue was fixed. It was fixed. 
So Jesus fixed how we are supposed to see people and treat people. Jesus fixed how we are supposed to see ourselves, and he fixed how we're supposed to behave and treat and see God. Boom. Okay. So to understand our, the use of our authority, has, it has everything to do with our salvation and that brings us back to, I'm gonna, we're going to go actually go to Romans 1. So Romans 1, chapter 16 and 17 says this. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation for everyone who believes, first the Jews, then the Gentiles. For the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So Paul is highlighting righteousness here, which can also be understood as authority, that, and he's, he's addressing the, the differential. So he's, he's addressing that and he's bringing it back into place. So authority comes from God, he says. So by the power of God, and it is for all people, bringing it back to equality. So it's from God for all people. And then Paul establishes the equality of all people. Not that he like, he like double, he like double kicks this one. In Romans 3.22, he says that the righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by the grace through and the redemption um, that came by Christ. So then if Jesus has reestablished our authority and has reestablished the equality of humanity, which is what, um, you know, like that's the, and then the continuing work of Christ is done through the Holy spirit, which Jess talked about, then what is our part, right? Like what's her takeaway? If this is, if this is the understanding, if Jesus has fixed the issue, what do we do? I think we do two things. Number one, we believe it. We have to believe it. We have to believe that it, when Second Tim, when it says in Second Timothy one seven that God gave us a spirit of not of fear but of power and love and a sound mind. We have to believe that that we have a spirit of power, not of fear. We have to believe that. We have to believe First John five four that says for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This reestablishes God's plan of authority. We have to believe Galatians 4, verse 6 and 7, which says, Because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now, if we are no longer a slave, but God's own child, and since you are his child, God has made you his heir. We have to believe that we are his heir. We have to believe this. We have to. We were asked at the very beginning of last week, do we believe that God is everything? Do we? We have to believe that. If we're going to walk, if we're going to walk in relationship, if we're going to do relationships right and godly, we have to understand and believe who we are and who he is. So we have to believe it. We have to believe that he's everything, that he's given us everything. As we talked about earlier on this year, we have to believe that he's given us the authority to obey his commands now, yes, the spirit works in us. 
This is all part of the sanctification process because the fact of the matter is, is we all still struggle with this. Jesus has already saved us, but we still struggle with this. So that means that this is part of the sanctification process, which means we might have to choose every single day to believe the fact that we have authority by God. We have to believe that every day. That might even mean that we have to say that we believe that every single minute of every single day if, so that we can fall in line with the authority that he has given us so that we can live in right relationship with him and other people. We have to believe it. And it's going to be questioned, right? The enemy questioned Adam and Eve about their belief. The enemy questioned Jesus about his belief. So you can be sure that the enemy is going to challenge on you on what you believe and on your authority. He's going to. He'll probably do it tonight. But you have to believe that what Jesus says about who you are, who God ordained you to be, is actually true. You have to believe that. I have to believe that. And I have to choose to do that moment by moment. Okay, so we have to believe it. Secondly, we just have to repeat it. Just repeat it. That's it. Just repeat it. So, yes, we know that we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So then that means that we have to look at authority and what authority looks like with Jesus. If Jesus is our co-heir, then we have to understand what authority looks like through Jesus. And so what that looks like, uh, we can see in John 14, 11, and 12. And it says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have done. He will do even greater things than these. You know, when I think about that verse, he will do even greater things than these, we often talk about miracles and healings and that kind of stuff, which is great. And I believe that we will see those things. Um, But I I also think, (laughs) I also think, I also have a bit of a lisp. I also think that we are supposed to look like the Son of God And do even greater things. If we are supposed to look like God, then we are supposed to look like humble servants. And that, and we should see even greater things in humility. So we know that Jesus humbled himself. We know that full well that he was this humble servant. Because, and and what's amazing is with Jesus humbling himself, he never put, his, his authority was never in question. See, oftentimes our struggle with humility, right, if we're honest, our struggle with humility, and if we're going to go into a relationship as a servant, then we struggle with like, well, what if I get walked on? And what about my power and my authority that I have? They're going to trample me. Well, Jesus said to some unbelieving Jews, I and the Father are one. Never once did he forget his authority. Never once. It didn't matter that he was a nobody from nowhere. It didn't matter. It didn't matter that he hung out with the wrong people, and it didn't matter that he said the wrong things. It didn't matter. His authority was never shaken because of those things. And he didn't use those things. He didn't use his authority to... Uh, to to one-up other people either. He didn't use those things to trample over people. In fact, what he did is he took those people who often got trampled on and he called them to himself, right? Zacchaeus, I'm going to go to your house. Lady who's been bleeding forever and you've been ostracized, yeah, believe in you're going to be healed. 
I'm going to pay attention to you. I'm going to see you. He honored women. He touched the lepers. He used his authority to equalize people. And, he, and he's commanding us to do the same. He's commanding us to repeat his behavior. His authority is his, is his humility, and his humility is his authority. They're not separate things. So we see, and I'm just going to close with this concept here. So we see that on the night that Jesus, like the very last night of, with Jesus, we see that he's with his, um, with his disciples, and we have a power issue. We have a power issue going on. So nobody's there to wash their feet, and nobody wants to do it. Everybody else in the room is more important than washing somebody else's feet. They're the most important person in the room. And so what does Jesus do? Well, we all know. He takes off his cloak, puts a towel around his waist, and he washes his disciples' feet. Now, he didn't use this moment to power it over them, to lord it over them. He used this moment to remind them of the authority that they have and that their authority comes through serving other people. He, the savior of the world, uh, is showing what authority actually means. That it isn't about a a a position of power. It's not about a power play. And when we talk, and when I say a position of power, I'm not talking about leadership. Please hear me. I'm not talking about leadership. I'm talking about how we jockey in our relationships to make us feel like we're more important. So he commands us to use our authority as something not for our benefit, but to make people, um, or to make people less than, our, than ourselves, but we are to use our authority to love people. In the book, Love Thy Body, which is written by Nancy Piercy, and I'm going to ask the band to come up. She says, as human beings, we are morally obligated to treat people in a way that helps them fulfill their purpose. We're morally obligated. I wouldn't even say that we're morally, we're, yeah, we're morally obligated. I think that we are like authority obligated. Our authority, bless you. Our authority obligates, obligates us. Our authority obligates us to treat people in a way that helps them fulfill their purpose. This is actually what Jesus did. This is, this is what Jesus did when he lived and died. He helped us. He helped us to get to where we are supposed to be to fulfill our purpose in life. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He helps us to fulfill our, our purpose. And so it is God's work for us to help others through our, the, the authority that has been given to us by our creator and our father to take that authority. Don't use that against people. Don't use that in a place of power and opposite, like to, to make ourselves better but to help people along for their purpose. And honestly, the reason why I feel like we need to start here is this has everything to do with how we enter into any kind of relationship, 
any kind of relationship, you have to know the authority that God has given you so that you can have a healthy relationship with yourself. So that you can have a healthy relationship with your heavenly father. So that you can have a healthy relationship with somebody that you're dating, with your roommate, with your friend, with your husband or with your wife. We have to know it. We have to know that our authority, the authority that is within me, has, will never ever compromise the authority that is in you. It's never going to affect your authority. My authority is never going to affect your authority. And your authority is never going to affect my authority because we're equals. We're equal. We are children of a wonderful, beautiful, loving God. It's a theology, for us to consider a theology of humanity, we have to know that it's a theology of equality. We all sin. We all sin. But we've all been given grace. We all have authority. We all have to obey God's commands. That's what I, I really believe is the theology of humanity, is that we are doing it together equally. And it is a, and a theology that lands under the authority of God. It has to be there. So, this is what I would like to pose to you. There's a, I just have some questions, things for you to ponder and think about. One, do you believe you have the authority that's actually yours? Do you believe it? And if you don't, you, I would suggest that you start reading up on authority. Start reading up on who you are. Start tonight. Um, secondly, I'd like for us to ask ourselves the question, do we position ourselves or do we posture for power? And the answer is yes, because we're human beings and we're still sinful and we still struggle. So then the question actually is, is God, where am I posturing for power? What relationships am I posturing for power? Where am I doing it, God? And how, and, and can you transform it? Take that, my attempt at counterfeit power, and remind me of my authority. And thirdly, I think it's important that we ask and we, we ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate for us. Have I given my authority away? Have I put somebody, have I put more power in somebody else's hands that is supposed to actually be in your hands? And I'd like for us to start thinking through, through those things. So, By virtue of being churchy, this is what I suggest we do. I think we could maybe stand. Probably, are you going to do Heart of Worship? I feel like that's appropriate. I think we could stand and sing or ponder whatever it is that the Holy Spirit is, is stirring in your spirit. 
just going to leave it like that for now. deeper 